It's always beautiful to hear your voices raised in praise to the Lord, just singing your hearts out to Him. It's especially with women, it's just a beautiful, beautiful sound, and I know God is so pleased with that. You know, He loves, He loves to hear you, He inhabits the praises of His people. So He's here with us, and uh, we thank Him for that. Father, we thank you again for time, for time with you, for time with friends, old and new, Lord. We thank you for your word. Thank you that you speak to us, Lord. I pray now that as we listen this last time, Lord, that if there's anyone here who still needs to hear from you, Lord, that you would just soften their heart. Lord, you'd put your finger on whatever that is that you want us want to say to them, Lord, that they would hear your voice now. Lord, I pray that your word would speak. It always does, Lord, but I pray that the ears would be ready to hear. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I read the schedule wrong, and if you wouldn't mind texting me my time again, I'm so sorry about that. Some people are planners and some people are not. I'm the not. All right, so I have another story, and this time is not about Micah, poor Micah. <laughs> this one is about my oldest, but he was about four or five years old, maybe, and we were at SeaWorld, and there was uh, this game that he and his cousin wanted to play, and it's one of those games where you're, um, you're shooting water at a target, and the fastest one, if you keep it on the target, it goes to the top, and then you win a prize. And they really just wanted to win any prize. They didn't care. And this game, there was nobody there. There was nobody at this game, so I thought, this is perfect. These two little four-year-olds can come and just play, and one of them will end up with a prize. So I pay, and the kids get up there, and they get their little water guns, and this man comes up walks by, sees them, and is like, oh, I can win, pays, and gets his little water gun. And this mama bear, who hates confrontation of any sort, looked over at this man and said, really? 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 Got out my money, paid for my own water gun. He still won. Aww. He still won. I was so upset about that. But I would never, 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 never have done that for myself. If he had come and wanted to compete with me, I would have been like, okay. You know, but you mess with my kids, you're going to mess with me, right? Right? That's not the only story. I have many stories, I'm ashamed to say, of Mama Bear. I may be short. But I'm very intimidating when I'm angry. <laughs> the Orlando girls know. So, what's my point here? My point is that you belong to the Lord and he is on your side. He is for you. And I want you to see that in his careful creation of you and also his ability to get to the heart of the matter and help you. 
So when something belongs to you, um, or if you carefully create anything, if there's anyone here who creates in any way, you know, art, craft, meals, you know, encouragement, if you create something, um, it has great value to you because it's yours, right? You made it. You spent time with this thing. You put energy and love and care into it. Well, God made you, and you are his. Therefore, you have great value to him. You are precious to him. Um, Matthew 13, and I am going to turn there so I don't mess it up. Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 45. It's two parables. It says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and hid, and for joy over it, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant sinking beautiful pearls, who when he has found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had, and he bought it. And ladies, do you know that the God of heaven purchased the earth to rescue you out of it? Do you know that he paid that great price for that pearl, which is you, to rescue you? He is for you. He would stop at nothing to, to rescue you, to save you, to help you in your time of need. I'm going to read Psalm 8 to you real quick as well because this is fascinating to me. I was listening to Damien Kyle teach Psalm 139, and he, he mentions that most people, when they speak of the awesomeness of God and of creation, they usually look to the heavens. They look to the sky. They look to the sun, the stars, the moon, these huge things that are incomprehensible to us, right? We look at them and we think, God, you are awesome, and we bring out our telescopes to look. But he says here in Psalm 139, David looks through the microscope. He looks at creation of him, of himself. In Psalm 8, it's so interesting because he says, um, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth, who have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have ordained strength because of your enemies that you may silence the enemy of the avenger and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? For you've made him a little lower than the angels and you've crowned him with glory and honor. In this psalm, he looks to the heavens and he thinks, what is man? Who am I in all of this? I'm nothing. And then here in Psalm 139, he says the opposite. He says, how amazing that the God of heaven would look at me, would care about me, would form me so intimately in my mother's womb. So let's go ahead now and start with verse 13 of Psalm 139, where he says, after he talks about we're hidden in darkness, the dark and the light are both the same to God. He says, you formed my inward parts, and you covered me in my mother's womb. 
That word form there implies um, a created thing that is owned. You are owned by God. He created you and you're his. And that word inward parts there is the word for kidneys, which (laughs) sounds funny, but it's kind of like us talking about our heart. Back in that day, they would talk about the seat of emotions being your bowels, your insides, your stomach, your intestines, all of that. So your kidneys. <laughs> He's like, God, you formed the seat of my emotion and affection. You didn't just form my body, but you made who I am, my intellect, my preferences, my characteristics, all of the things that make me, me. You were intimately involved in creating that. Um, The word you is an emphatic in the Hebrew. I think you heard me say it about another thing earlier, but I will not, I will not, I will not let you go. Um, You, emphatic you, you, God, you only. There is no one else who can do this. It's only you. You were with me in the womb. You were making me. You originated all of these things about me. That was all you. This is very personal, very intimate, the God of heaven coming. You just picture this little, you know, tiny little microscopic thing, and he just starts forming it. I think about in Genesis when it talks about the Holy Spirit brooding over the earth and kind of spinning it, setting it in motion, how he personally did that. God did that for you as well. And it says that you covered me in my mother's womb. And this is special because that word coven, coven, wow, not that word. That word covered means woven. And that's the name of your women's ministry. And I just thought that was precious. You are woven. You are weaved together. God took all that thread and the needle and he put that on the loom and he just started weaving to make this beautiful thing. God was with you, guiding your formation and weaving you together. There's such a personal intimacy to all of this, to his hand doing that, to his, his mind thinking, what am I going to make this person? Oh, I'm going to make her like this. And I'm going to weave her together where nobody else can see but me. Spurgeon, I love Spurgeon quotes. I usually have one in every message. Spurgeon gives us such a beautiful picture here. He says, there I lay hidden, covered by thee. Before I could know thee or aught else, thou hadst care for me and did hide me away as a treasure till thou should see fit to bring me to the light. He just kept you there until he thought it was good to reveal you to the world. So what is the response to this thought of God so intimately creating us? Well, David says in verse 14, I will praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works and that my soul knows very well. His soul knows. Maybe his intellect doesn't know, but his soul knows. He erupts in praise. He's giving thanks with open hands to the Lord. Lord, thank you. 
You are amazing. You are awesome. All those things that we do when we're just open before the Lord, we praise him for fearfully. That means with reverence and honor. You know how when you're carrying your favorite, I don't know, what do we have that's our favorite? Our favorite vase. I don't know. Do we have those? <laughs> but you know, you carry it carefully. Of what? A mug, my favorite mug. That is true. Kids have broken all my favorite mugs. It is okay. They're just things. But you're a person. You're much more valuable than a mug. And God reverently, with honor, created you. Fearfully and wonderfully, that's distinct, set apart. You were set apart from all others that have ever been created. He made you, you, and nobody else can be you or will ever be you or has been you on the earth. You are set apart, wonderful, that's, that's you know, filled with wonder. Isn't that a wonderful thing to think about how there's never been anybody like you and there will never be anyone like you again? It's pretty amazing that God would be so specific. I'm trying to decipher my notes here. I said, I am. Oh, 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 oh. I am fearfully and wonderfully made, not we are or people are. This is, again, very personal. You know, th this is about you. This is David speaking of himself. Um, thank the Lord for making you so carefully and reverently and for setting you apart and for making you unique among creation. David says, my soul knows very well. Maybe I can't comprehend it, but my soul knows to give honor to the Lord for this thing. My soul knows the one who knows me. Are you beginning to see, maybe just a little bit, how precious you are to the Lord? Not just you, but all people. You think every person you've ever met was made that way. It gives you a new perspective on the people you come across, especially the most annoying ones <laughs> or the ones who hurt you, right? Maybe the ones who aren't so lovely to you. Those people are lovely to the Lord. He made them. He loves them. He's for them too, even your enemies. God doesn't want anyone to perish, but all to come to eternal life, right? Verse 15. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. My frame, that's my bones, my, the shape of my body in secret. It's just you and the Lord there, you alone with him. Lord, you alone were there when I was made, when I was skillfully wrought. So the last word we used was woven. This word is embroidery. And you think of the function of embroidery. Does it really have one? I mean, not really. It brings beauty, doesn't it? It brings variety, color, something unique to whatever item you're embroidering. So I kind of picture the woven part as maybe the, the cloth, you know, and then the embroidery is what's decorating the cloth. 
You were embroidered. You are not just any person. You have things that are specific to you that God made just to make you unique, to make you you. God personally placed every unique detail. He loves to express himself in variety, doesn't he? Don't you look? I just look at animals sometimes and I'm thinking, Lord, what is that thing? What on earth? There's this animal, I can't remember what it's called, but it has this weird, real floppy nose. It almost looks like a hippopotamus with a floppy nose. Maybe some of you know what this is, but I think, oh, what? Why? Tapir. A tapir? Okay, people know things. That's amazing. <laughs> They're fascinating. You know, Lord, what in the world? You must have just thought, oh, this will be fun to do. You know, and he makes these crazy animals. Um, and just plants, the variety of plants that we have on this planet is astounding. Just maybe the ones, even just the things in your yard, the variety that's there. God loves to express who he is in his creation. Every bit of it speaks of him. We know that because it says we can look at creation and know that there is a God. I mean, anybody can look. You have to really suppress truth to look out there and, and say there is no God. Every bit of it is important to him. Ephesians 2, verse 10, says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That word for workmanship is the word poema, where we get our word poem from. And what is a poem? A poem is an expression of its author, a personal expression of its author. You are a personal expression of the Father who created, of your Father who created you. Genesis 1, if you look at Genesis 1, <laughs> creation, verses 26 through 28 specifically talks about the creation of man. And it says that in all of creation, there was only one that was made in God's image. And who was that? Yeah, that was Adam, that was man, that was human beings created in God's image. He chose for us to be a physical expression of who he is to the world. We have value, we have preciousness because he gave it to us. He's the reason that we have the gifts of life. He's the reason that we are valued. And he is the reason that we are to value other people. If God is for them, then we should also be for them. And that is the weakest on this earth, the most vulnerable on this earth, and specifically the unborn on this earth as well. Every life is valuable and precious, and God wants us to treat each person like the jewel that they are. Part of that, though, is remembering, and I'm not, I'm not big on self-love type things, self-love, self-care, you know, love you first, but part of understanding how much God loves others is understanding how loved you are. And then if you think, okay, I can understand and make sense sometimes of 
why God would love me, but what about them? Why them? He does love them, and you can remember that. Every time you think of how much God loves you, remind yourself of how much God loves every face that you see, that you come across, that you get angry with for cutting you off on the side of the road, that stands in the middle of the shopping aisle when you're trying to get around <laughs> all those things. All those people are so precious to the Lord. <laughs> None, you all get very annoyed, apparently. I'm not alone. <laughs> Verse 16, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they were all written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. Your eyes saw, you gave attention to me when my body was just a blob. That is literally what that word means. It means when my embryo was rolled together, kind of like a mashed up piece of clay. You gave attention to me even there. The preciousness of life. And it says that... Um, In your book, they all were written, the days fashioned for me. God has a book. He has several books that we know about and read about in scripture. But this particular one is where he writes down all the details of all of my days. And he's had them written before I lived any of those Again, just showing his care and attention for every detail of our life. Every single day before I lived it was recorded in his book. He took time to write all of those things down. <clears throat> Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I ordained you. Not only did he give you life and form you personally, but he also had a plan in mind when he made you. He attached a plan to your life and to the life of every individual that you come across. We were all born with God. God had a plan in mind. And he knew. He knew already what you would do, where you would go, all the things you wouldn't do, the ways you wouldn't obey him. He knew all of that, that he still chose to make a plan for your life. Nothing stops him, not even our failures and shortcomings, not the failures and shortcomings of other people stop him. His ways are perfect, and he always accomplishes what he wants to do. Your days, your life, your tears, your name is important enough to God for him to record it. You know, I have several, I have a baby book for each of my kids, <laughs> but none of them are filled out. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe some of them are partially filled out, but none of them are fully filled out. My firstborn has the most in it, yeah. <laughs> but God is not like that. He has a baby book for every person who has ever lived. From before your life began, he has been carefully at work in your life, and he will continue working until it's complete. Philippians 1, verse 6 says, He who began a good work will be faithful to complete it 
You are worth it all to him. He is for you. He purchased the field of the world to get you. He will stop at nothing to rescue you, to help you in your time of need. He will stop at nothing to see his plans fulfilled in your life. He is not against you. He is for you. Verses 17 through 18, we'll read them together. So what is his response then to all of this? David says, how precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they'd be more in number than the sand. And when I wake, I'm still with you. How precious, how prized, how valuable, how costly are your thoughts toward me, God. You have shown me how precious I am to you, and now, God, your thoughts are precious to me. Your thoughts, all those things that you think of me, God, thank you so much. That is, that is worth more than anything to me. Your thoughts, your purposes, your aims for me is valuable. How great is the sum? More than the sand. Have you ever tried to even count a cup full of sand? There's no way. God's thoughts are more than the sand on the earth. This just blows my mind away. How many thoughts can God think in a second? Yet he's thinking thoughts of you constantly. He's never not thinking of you. If there are that many thoughts that he has, he's never not thinking of you. And you know, all of the people on the planet are being thought of at that rate all the time. How, how, oh, that the God of heaven would look down at us and think of us that often? Jeremiah 29, 11, it's not speaking specifically about you and I, but I believe the principle is solid. I know the thoughts that I think toward you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. God's thoughts are good toward you. That's important to remember because when you're facing any sort of a trial or situation that's out of your control, um, what you believe about what God thinks about you is going to form, inform your response to the trial or situation. God, this isn't fair. Do you even see me? Do you love me? Do you care about this? Those show us that we don't believe that God is good and that his intentions toward us are good. They are always good. His thoughts are always good toward you. His intentions towards you are always good. He works all things, that's every single thing, everything that involves you, the people around you, and the world at large. He works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his good pleasure. He is for his people. He's always working for their benefit. If you are his, he is at work constantly on your behalf. He made you. If he spent this much time and effort making you, don't you think he wants to preserve you to the end? 
He's always thinking about you, and his thoughts are good. Luke 12, 7 says that your hairs are numbered. Now, somebody, and I don't remember who I was listening to, said it does not mean that your hairs are counted. It means that they're numbered, which means that this is hair 291. This is hair. He has a number picked out for each of your hairs, and when it falls out, he knows which number that was. <laughs> I've never counted even my kids' hair. He counts all of our hairs. He knows which number they are. Romans 8:31. If God is for us, who shall be against us? My old pastor used to say, God plus you is a majority. <laughs> Psalm 84, 11, the Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from the upright. God is never keeping anything that's good from you. Don't we sometimes think, Lord, this would be really great if I could just have this or do this or if you just work this out this way. And God says, no, that's not good for you. I have, uh, I remember this epiphany I had when uh, my firstborn was a baby, tiny baby, and I was drinking this hot cup of tea. And he was screaming at me because he wanted it. And I knew, this is too hot for you, son. You can't drink this and you're just a baby. You can't have this tea. This wouldn't be good for you. And then just everything in my mind went, no. Maybe God sometimes keeps things from me because I don't have all the information. And maybe sometimes he doesn't tell me why I can't have it because if he told me, I wouldn't understand. Joel did not understand that the cup was hot, that the tea inside would burn him. If I had given it to him, then I would have been a not-so-nice mom, right? But I couldn't explain that to him because he didn't understand. My intentions towards him were good. God's intentions toward you are good. And sometimes he says no because you don't have all the information. And sometimes you don't get an explanation because even if he told you, you wouldn't comprehend. Remember, God's thoughts are far above, far above, not just a little bit above, far above our thoughts. We are basically infants and less compared to him and everything that he knows. So just because God says no doesn't mean he's not for you. Doesn't mean he's keeping something good from you. Isaiah 49, 15 through 16, God explains that sometimes a mom might forget her baby but he never would. You know, I talked about how we forgot Micah, and it's true. Sometimes you might forget. You hear stories of babies being left in car seats on accident on top of cars, things like that. Sometimes even a mother who's constantly thinking of her child will forget, but God never, never forgets. He has your name written on the palm of his hand. It's always before his face. He sees you. Maybe you felt forgotten. Maybe those who were supposed to have cared for you did not. Maybe those who should have protected and cared for you and should have been on your side were not. 
when your heavenly father will never forget you and his thoughts toward you are always good. You can rest in that. If nobody else is on your team, God is on your team. He always picks you, okay? When I awake, I'm still with you. It says here at the end of verse 18, when I awake, I'm still with you. I may sleep, but God, you're not sleeping. Maybe I'm not paying attention, but God, you are paying attention. I wake up, you're still there with me. You're still looking at me. You're still watching over me. He never, ever sleeps, and he never stops thinking about you. So now we have all these beautiful things <laughs> that David has said. And this next part seems to come out of left field. Like, what, David, is wrong with you, right? So I'm going to read this real quick. I'm going to read 19 through 22. Bear with me. I'm not saying this to you, okay? <laughs> oh, that you would slay the wicked, O oh God. Depart from you, therefore, you bloodthirsty men, for they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. That's painful for me to even speak out loud. But yet David expresses this thought to God. You know, David has had time to think about, to contemplate, and remember his relationship with the Lord. And he comes to the conclusion that he doesn't want anything to get in the way in between him and the Lord. And he is angry at anything that would try to step in and do that. Anything that would step in and try to devalue what God has valued, which is him, his creation. You know, sometimes when I'm praying, if I'm particularly frustrated with my husband, he's perfect, but sometimes I get frustrated and I might come to the Lord, you know, in one of my continual prayers and, and Lord, I just don't understand this man. He's this and that. And you see, you saw, you saw what he did, you know. And as I'm saying this, all of a sudden, there's this still small voice. Beverly, what about you? What about what you did? What about what you said? What about what you forgot to do? All of those things start turning back to me. I start out really angry, but it's really hard to stay that way when I remember who I am, when God is so gracious to point out who I am and what I've done. David concludes that he is precious to the Lord who has been faithful to him in spite of his own failures. All life is precious to God, and David responds in anger to those who would rise up against Jehovah. It's almost like he's sticking up for God, you know. God needs you to come and stick up for him. He does not need you to do that. <laughs> he gets glory no matter what. Um, 
But David, this really grieves him. He's grieved at the wickedness that would separate him and separate others from this God who is so awesome. And he just wants no part, no part with them. You know, Jesus says that he came to give us life and that more abundantly, right? Jesus came to give us life and that more abundantly. We don't want anything to come between us and the Lord. Remember that, that he, is, he came to give you abundant life. That he is for you. He is on your side. Those aren't the words of somebody who is against you. And now here, at the very end, verse 23 and 24, we are left much as we began, right? We began with, oh Lord, you have searched me. And now we're ending with, search me, oh God. You've already searched me. You've done all the searching. But now, God, I'm asking you again, would you come show me what you found? Search me, O oh God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Search me. Dig me up, Lord. Show me everything you find. Bring it to me. I don't want there to be anything there that is not of you that would keep me from your good plans for my life. Know my heart. My heart is deceitfully wicked in every way, the Bible says. It says, who can know it? But God knows our hearts, and he can show us when we're deceiving ourselves. This is the part of the for you. This is the relationship that has formed a bond of trust where God is asked and allowed to bring up and show us the truth about ourselves so that we can be refined. When you realize that God's purposes for you are good, that his plans are good, his thoughts are good, that he is for you, you trust him then, and you can ask him, safely ask him the question, Lord, show me. What, is there anything wicked in me? Is there anything keeping me from you? Is there anything that needs to be refined? That try me means purify, refine with fire. This doesn't sound like a very pleasant process, but we are safe in the hands of God. We can trust him that when he refines us, we're going to come out better for it. Our anxieties would be our disquieting thoughts, those things that make us restless or worried, um, frustrated, all those things that are disquieting, not peaceful. God, show me what those things are. Show me why I'm feeling that way. Show me why my heart is in this place. We can trust him to show us, and we can trust him also to take care of us, take care of those things because he's good, because he's for us. Ask him to let what breaks his heart break yours. You can do that because he loves you so much and he will do it if you ask him. He's faithful, right? It is his will. He wants to conform you more and more to the image of his son. So when you ask him to do that, be ready. Be ready for the answer because he will show you. 
but it's so good. It is so good to allow the Lord's chastening to work in your life. It's for your benefit. See if there's any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Man has a way that he chooses and God has a way that he chooses except his way leads to life, right? Ask God to show you anything, anything in your own ways that would hurt your relationship with him, knowing that he loves you, that he is not against you, and anything he shows you is something that's not necessary, it's not good for you. In light of all these things that we've read, that's where David leaves us. God knows you, and he still loves you. God is with you. He will never leave you. God is for you, and he is cheering you on. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, he is standing there at the finish line, just woo, she's coming, come on, you're going to do it, you got this. I don't know if he's saying that exactly, <laughs> but that's what I imagine. You, says that for the joy that was set before him, this is Hebrews 12 too, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. What was the joy that was set before him? In eternity with you. That is why he endured that. Let that help you endure the thought that he endured all of that for you. Let that keep you going. My life verse is the last two verses of Jude. It says, now unto him who's able, unto him who's able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in his presence with great joy. One day, Jesus is going to present you to his father, and he is going to be so happy when he does that. And it's going to be because he brings you and says, look, it's like a little kid, look, God, look what I did. Here she is. I did it. I brought her to you. Isn't that so amazing? Isn't that so exciting? Jesus is just going to be so excited to bring you, to show you off to his father, all because of what he's done for you, because he loves you so much. If you don't mind, can I take a minute to reread this whole psalm? I want to read the psalm to you again, but I want you to listen and think of Everything we've talked about today, he knows you, he's with you, he's for you. And just let it speak to your heart one more time. Oh Lord, you've searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. You've hedged me behind and before and laid your hand upon me. 
Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall fall on me, even the night shall be light about me. Indeed, the darkness shall not hide from you, but the night shines as the day, and the darkness and the light are both alike to you. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I'm still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, you bloodthirsty men, for they speak against you wickedly. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate them, O Lord, who hate you? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your word that doesn't return void. In Jesus' name. David realized that some of those enemies which rise up against the Lord were some of his own thoughts, uh, some of his own shortcomings and unwillingness to surrender and to be that person that the Lord had formed him to be. Um, and maybe that's why he said, try my anxieties. Maybe that's why he said, put those enemies that arise in me to the test. I don't know. We could ask him in heaven. Uh, we have on page 15 of our booklet some retreat reflection questions. If you sense like, Lord, I came, I wanted you to speak to me, the sessions are done, and I still don't have my questions answered. Lord, I still don't know what to do about X, Y, Z. Um, just use this time. Cry out to him. Pour out your heart before him. Go through those notes. Um, I would encourage you to write down your own hairspray story. Take a moment and think of a time where there was a desire, there was a thought that was afar off, and the Lord gave you that before you even had a chance to ask him for it. Um, we also have these reflection questions. We also just have time to pour over the psalm. So we're going to do something that is so contrary to our culture and our time, 
and we're going to sit in silence before the Lord. And we're not going to have music playing. We're not going to have anything else but us in our seat with our word and these questions. And just say, okay, Lord, show me. Help me take away one thing from this retreat. And then I'll come back up after that time and we'll partake of the Lord's Supper together. But just use this time to reflect.